We are continuing with our coverage of the World Economic Forum and what's happening on the sidelines of the WEF meet here in Davos in Switzerland on this very special program. Interviews with two key India leaders over here. The Minister Hardi Puri talks to me about the concerns that India sees in the Red Sea and the ongoing conflict over there. We also discuss oil prices and the move to sustainable fuels. I'll also be joined by Ashwini Vaishnav. In our interview with Mr. Vaishnav, we look at India-made semiconductors and the future over there. Also a very special panel done with the Confederation of Indian Industry and Deloitte, where we look at the future of India's digital public infrastructure. We'll be joined by the chairperson of IBM, Arvind Krishna, the minister Smithy Irani, and a very special panel. All of this and a lot more right here on left, right and center. For the last several years, we've seen uh, India become very much a focal point, a point of conversation at the World Economic Forum in Davos. This time around, the WEF is looking very closely at the entire issue of sustainable development, green development. Joining us now, a very special guest, the Union Minister, Hardeep Puri. Thanks very much, sir, for being with us. We'll get to the entire theme of um, a green transition, sustainable growth. But I wanted your thoughts first on what is happening in the Red Sea and the potential impact to our trade flows. Uh, we've already seen attacks taking place. Are you worried uh, in terms of the impact it might have on our economy? Uh, Vishnu, I would have been surprised if you had not uh, opened with the Red Sea question. Oh, good. Because that, no, no, but that, no, no, it is you know, not only the right question. I think it's a, uh, it's a subject which is inviting increasing attention, uh, a fair amount of concern. But if I were to take that to worried, I'm not there yet. And I say that for good reason. Uh, first and foremost, I think all the state players involved in this, as against the non-state actors which are responsible for this, uh, all the state players, I'm not convinced any of them genuinely wants uh, to see a conflagration of the situation and break out of hostilities on a larger scale, number one. Right. There will be people who will be pointing fingers. It's not for me to make an assessment whether the non-state actors acted on their own or with some uh, uh, you know, feeling that they would be backed up by uh, uh, others. Right. But on the other hand, look at the converse. If you have to unleash Bedlam, then why uh, use one? There are other non-state actors with far higher degree of lethality right. who could have come in. My view is that any attempt to uh, disrupt or cause uncertainty, even of a perception variety only, in any of the sea routes where, which um, uh, are used by global trade is a matter of concern. Right. But at the same time, I think uh, there is enough maturity and wisdom around to be able to navigate, literally, and that word's a pun, navigate around this. I see that um, maybe some of the um, uh, players involved were not ready for the changes of a very far-sighted nature which were going to take place. Mm -hmm. For instance, rapprochement between the uh, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and uh, Israel, for yes, instance. Yes, yes. Between Iran and uh, Saudi Arabia or others. Now, when this happened, I'm not saying that this is the causation. It resulted in some uncertainty. But what I would say is, today, none of the state system, and that I say with 39 years of uh, uh, practicing diplomacy 
behind me. I think no, it's in nobody's interest today. The global economy is in a very, it hasn't had a hard landing, but it's not a... a, a so not you, ra you raised an important point, sir, when you spoke about, or you were referring to the Middle Eastern Economic Corridor, which we were very hopeful about starting in a finite period of time. Then the war in Israel uh, and, uh, and Hamas has started out. Do you believe that that has now moved into the back burner no, indefinitely? No, 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 not at, not at because all. Because of uh, equations in West Asia, no, between I don't, I don't, say, I don't, Qatar and Israel, etc., etc. No, 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 but those equations have had left fault lines even earlier. I mean, when the announcement of a Middle Eastern economic corridor were made, I don't think it was anybody's case that it would take place day after tomorrow. Right. You have to start up. I think all the basic infrastructure, the intent, everything is there. Mm -hmm. It will take a little time, but I think uh, when you have hostilities of this kind, uh, you know, uh, drone attacks, missile attacks on merchant shipping, yeah. etc., are taking place, you don't talk about these corridors then. But I think it's only a matter of time before uh, some serious introspection is done by all those who can influence, and I use the word influence to moderate uh, and um, help this, and I, 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 I'm cautiously optimistic. Iran is obviously a key factor. We have an excellent equation with Iran. We have for a very long period of time. And yet, uh, th there is evidence of the use of Iranian weapons uh, in the Red Sea, potentially even on the attack which took place on a ship deep in the Arabian I would, Sea. I would, I would hold judgment. They, your part about our excellent relations with Iran bilaterally are absolutely true. I think Iran uh, discussions are taking place. I think uh, the foreign minister was there. Yes. I think other people are there. And I think, as I said, I made a pretty strong categorical statement that I don't think it's in any state actor's uh, interest just now to allow this situation to spiral out of control. Minister, thank you thank very you, much Vishnu, for God speaking to you. us. Thank uh, you very much. At the World Economic Forum meet, and certainly on the sidelines in Davos, Switzerland, artificial intelligence, the future of um, digital infrastructure rollouts, technology at so many levels, are some of the key issues being raised. We've got a wonderful guest with us, the Minister Ashwini Veshna. Thanks Hello. very much. Uh, besides being Minister, these are themes that genuinely interest you, excite you as well. One of the key issues uh, for India going forward will be uh, semiconductors. Um, and resilient supply chains, obviously. How is that key to some of our future plans? So, semiconductor is a foundational technology. Everybody here at DevOps is like, they are people, senior people who are really concerned about the resiliency of supply chain. Semiconductors go into practically everything that we manufacture these days. So, there is a lot of excitement about India's entry into the semiconductor industry. People appreciate the focus on talent that we have done. The industry leaders appreciate the focus on design that we have done. People say that the first few steps that India has taken are the absolutely the right steps. People are very happy with the progress of the Micron plant because within 90 days flat, the construction began. So that's, a, that's something which is giving a lot of confidence to the world, to the global semiconductor industry. Yeah. Um, from a geostrategic standpoint, this is also critical, isn't it? Because um, the availability of semiconductors has been limited to a couple of countries. We have a huge demand and we want to ensure that it is available for our industry when we need it. Absolutely. And that's why we have put so clear focus on developing a comprehensive ecosystem for semiconductors. And we have been uh, supported and helped by some of the topmost leaders in this field across the world as part who have become members of the India Semiconductor Mission. So that is giving us very good uh, and today the, the interactions I've had with the industry leaders, they believe that this is the time when you can take the next leap. The next leap is basically 
starting projects to design some of the key chips that are needed in today's world. For example, for telecom, mm. for example, for processor, mm. for example, can you decide, can you start working on your own GPU? Mm. That these are the kind of inputs which are coming from the industry. Mm. That shows the level of confidence which mm. industry has on India. And so this is something which India would be able to supply to the world, not just our industry going forward. Absolutely. Indian designed uh, GPUs, uh, semiconductors, um, and, and a lot of that displays, yeah. for example, going out. So it would also set up a huge ecosystem in India with the generation of thousands of jobs. Absolutely. This is a global industry. What you design and manufacture in India can be used anywhere in the world. And given the geopolitical uh, strategies and constraints which people are feeling all over the world, people have huge trust. The global industry has huge trust on India. And that's where Prime Minister Modiji's work on the foreign policy and the kind of trust he has developed across the world has really played out. So that trust is very important. So the issue, uh, one of the key themes in Davos this year is artificial intelligence. But the question which a lot of people have back home certainly is that, you know, if there is more AI, then it means that there may be fewer jobs or people will be retrenched. How would you address this concern? There are uh, two aspects of every technology that comes in. There will be transitions in the industry basis, the new technology. So a lot of productivity gains will be there. There will be lots and lots of complex challenges which can be addressed, for example, climate change, for example, new drug discovery, for example, disease uh, prevention, for example, getting earlier detection of uh, diseases. All those things are, for example, agriculture. So these are the things in which uh, AI can play a very positive role. Yes, there will be other negative aspects of the technology, like every other technology, when it comes, it will have. What we need to do is we have to see how can we harness the positive things and how can we save our society and the country and the economy from the negative side. Regulation is important not just within India but around the world as well because when we talk about AI we are talking about extremely advanced systems, uh, we are talking about potential dangers which we have not even foreseen. Um, is this something that concerns you given the pace at which the technology is developing? Absolutely. Regulation of AI is today a very important topic discussed everywhere in practically every forum. Globally, there are concerns about copyright, there are concerns about the content which is getting created, there are concerns about, concerns about racial bias, there are concerns about deep fakes, there are concerns about identity theft. So these are the concerns around which regulation is getting built, getting developed. Um, we are part of the global uh, thinking process. We chaired the GPA, which is basically a body of uh, like uh, a very large number of almost 28 countries are part are members of that. And our thinking, which balances innovation and regulation, has been widely appreciated and widely acknowledged. All right. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much, Minister, for uh, you know sharing your thoughts on, on so many issues. It's been a an interesting. Uh, WEF and Davos for all of us uh, for visiting from India. Thank you very much for thank speaking you. to us. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much uh, for being here with us today. We've got a fantastic panel to discuss a theme which is very, very closely associated with the India growth story. Um, it is uh, the story of India's digital public infrastructure. Um, it's a story where 
there's been profound transformation affecting the lives of more than a billion plus in India. It's a story where India's experience, our digital backend, our infrastructure and our professionals believe that there is promise of extending this technology to several other parts of the world. This is something that was discussed at great length at the G20 process as well. For those of us uh, who may not have been to India or um, uh, may not be aware of the situation in India, we are increasingly an app-based society. And it's not just private apps, but wonderful government apps which add to the ease of living. They add to the notion of empowerment. Uh, apps such as Aadhaar, DigiLocker, DigiYatra, multiple banking services which uh, operate now exist across the country on a fairly robust 5G network uh, which is actually being scaled up substantially. Joining us um, in this conversation, Smith Irani, the Union Minister of Women and Child Development. Thanks, ma'am, very much for being with us. Uh, Ardhanesh, the President of the Confederation of Indian Industry. Arvind Krishna, the Chairperson of IBM. Romal Shetty, the CEO of South Asia uh, of Deloitte. R.K. Singh, the Secretary of the Department of Promotion of Industry and Internal Trade uh, with the Government of India. Uh, Chandrajit Banerjee to my left, the Director General of the Confederation of Indian Industry. I'd like to go across first to the Minister, Smithy Irani. Uh, Ma'am, you know, you speak so passionately about empowerment. You speak about women's rights. But when we speak about India's digital transformation uh, and the digital uh, infrastructure which exists, how is it ultimately about empowering a billion plus in our country? I think one of the greatest examples of empowerment and bridging the gap was witnessed when the pandemic hit globally. We are a nation which was for decades in the vaccine line. The fact that India's inherent capacity to innovate frugally, to deliver to beneficiaries the promise of good governance was in some way juxtapositioned digitally and the fact that digital democracy can deliver timely so and justly so was most visible during the pandemic. That we in a country when the world's back was to the wall could manufacture vaccines, deliver it, and the delivery was tracked digitally, 200 billion doses. And that apart, that we extended with a sense of humility and with our promise to serve large aspects of humanity to 160 nations, the pharmacological success of India was, I think, resolute and resounding across the globe. But more so when we speak about the tenets of democracy. How has digital India delivered? This year, 945 million Indians are eligible to vote. But when they go to vote, they will go with their bio-authorized cards, which will help the officials identify them that after the last vote is cast, it is computed through electronic machines and declared in just three days. Tell me a more vibrant democracy in the world that delivers electronically or digitally democracy itself. Absolutely. Um, Mr. Krishna, let me come to you next. You know, the minister very passionately speaking about uh, digital transformation and, and, and uh, democracy through uh, the digital prism which exists. How much of this can actually be taken outside? What are some of the experiences which you feel can be translated into something substantial in other markets? So two, two aspects to that. First, 
I absolutely agree with the Minister in terms of the empowerment it brings to all of the people as well as the growth opportunity it brings. Let's first talk about the services side. So if I look at just the pandemic, to stick to that example, during the pandemic people were working remotely, people were working from home. If the digital infrastructure did not exist, that meant that we would have had 10 to 20 million people out of employment and unable to work. I'll give you our experience. We have tens of thousands of people in India, 98% productivity through the entire pandemic, through the worst of it and through all of the remote working that had to happen. Without that digital infrastructure, and it's more than just a telephone line or a VPN or a remote PC, it meant that they had to be able to function from home. So all of the apps, all of the delivery, all of the e-commerce allowed and enabled that to work. That, by the way, can be measured in the hundreds of billions of dollars in terms of uh, productivity and in terms of GDP contribution towards India because of the DPI. The second is the opportunity that I believe is going to come, and you're right, it was discussed during the B20. I think it'll go faster maybe in another year or two, but people are looking at the low cost, the fact that half the world's digital transactions are now happening over the UPI system in terms of volume, and at a cost that is 1%, um, that which other countries are seeing. And that is something which people are looking at now and saying, can we build such a system? By the way, it's more than just payments. People think about it like that. It is taking out and making sure that the policy and the intention of the government can be met when the money flows directly to the intended recipient. That is something which countries all over the world struggle with and which can be brought to bear. So two sides export the actual service out of India, so a true meaning of the word globalization here, and two, take what was done and export it to the rest of the world. Ma'am, would you like to just come in on that point uh, which Mr. Krishna spoke about, digital banking and empowerment, the fact that uh, money actually gets to people who need it most, there is no middleman or, or person in the middle, uh, that the entire system of, of rollout of funds, which is so critical in different parts of our sector, is seamlessly done. I think what, uh, to just supplement what Mr. Krishna said, can you imagine when we make a promise for good governance and as he said, the intended beneficiary gets the benefits directly from the treasury and those who have had a layered disposition for the lack of digital transparency have benefited far too long and unjustly so. So in our governance experience, we actually could weed out a hundred million such cases and save lakhs of crores, billions of dollars from our treasury. And that is why, irrespective of the challenges that the pandemic brought, we were in a position not only to bring about policy reform, I think Secretary DPID can speak better on it, 63,000 hindrances to businesses, globally, not only locally, were taken away so that uh, there is a very, very substantial policy reform which was underway. So India was fighting the pandemic, India was engaging in reform, and India was performing digitally to ensure that our populace is protected. But at the same time, we did not lose opportunities to engage globally. We were never shut for business, even during the pandemic. Romal Shetty, um you know, you've looked very closely at the India stack, India's uh, digital infrastructure, as it were. 
Um, there is also, and there has to be talk about scaling it up. Uh, there has to be talk about sharing it based on, on the experiences, but as significantly on securing it. Um, data privacy is so critical. On these three points, how do you see the India story going forward? First is just to, I think the, the, the kind of benefits that it, you know, I, I just want to take one example of GSTN and FastTag. Just in six years, what's really happened is before GSTN, a truck in India would drive 250 kilometers a day. Now it drives 500 kilometers a day. Last year, with FastTag, we used to collect about 80 crores a day. This year, it's going to 200 crores. The transparency has really made an impact. But what's also impacting the environment is that the time of the toll has gone from 40 to 12 minutes to 47 seconds. That is 17,000 crores of fuel saved. And this is only going to dramatically increase. Now, just one bit of thing which impacts so many things, businesses from a logistics perspective, just the, the time and of course, a little bit of road rage as well, I think. Uh, coming to the point of scaling up, I think this is one opportunity where if on the DPIF there is the reach outreach to rural India to every particular point, you know, the last mile, with digital literacy will actually help even more. The second bit is also how do you take it to other countries because my view is that this is something, this is an innovation that is an incredible innovation. People talk about software services that we've always been extraordinary, but this is a real true product that India has built. And I think it is, it, it's, it's sort of, uh, and India has also talked about the fact that how can we be the repository of all these DPI best practices, the Prime Minister has actually released it to everybody to use DPI. So allowing each country to do its own thing, all right, customize it, uh, I think would be a better way to scale it up as well. And the DPDP bill which has come in, because for it, I think the whole thing on Davos has been on AI, you collect the data, that's when AI can actually work. So the DPDP is actually a very good bill that also then protects the end user. So the security of that has also been covered extremely well. Well, I'd like to uh, thank uh, all of you very much uh, for joining us and Deloitte and the Confederation of Indian Industry for this uh, session. Um, you know, to give you an idea of what uh, India's digital backend is uh, and the future, uh, the opportunities which exist and how it is ultimately a force of empowerment at so many levels. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day ahead. Thank you.